Launch season continues to roll on. Katie George, Lawrence Edmondson, and Nate Saunders. Unfortunately, we are no longer in the same place. We all left New York, went our separate ways. Both of you clearly made it across the pond safely. Just about, yeah. I think it it, it, it is a massive change, isn't it, from going from a lovely stage, quite a chilly stage, I would say. You know, that would be my only Freezing. criticism of the stage we're on. Uh, and then back to doing it here. I've just about got over the jet lag, I think. Lawrence and I were talking about this earlier. So just about in one piece. But jet lag's not a bad thing to complain about after a nice little trip. Lawrence, how are you feeling? Yeah, pretty good, actually. I was only there for three nights. So I just kind of somehow stayed on more or less the UK time zone. I slipped back into it. But um, yeah, such a cool trip. I, it's, I was saying earlier, I don't think I've ever been to a launch event that far away and you know also that's kind of had that hype going into it so um yeah it was pretty cool to uh to be out in the US says a lot about where F1's going so um yeah it was really really good fun yeah it was a great time very exciting obviously to be there for the first season launch in the United States ever of course it was great being in person with the two of you finally the last time we were in the same place was down in Miami for that Grand Prix. We dropped our special edition of our unlapped podcast with Daniel Ricardo which was so much fun getting to have that time with him. Let's just rehash real quick what you guys thought of the event, what was telling and what did you think of our time that we got to spend with Daniel and what he had to say in that hour or so on our pod. It's kind of a well, funny one, isn't it? Go on, go on, go on. No, as I say, the highlight was absolutely time with Daniel, as far as I was concerned, because um, I think it didn't go amiss uh, to people watching that the car that got revealed looked an awful lot like last year's car, and the livery that was on it also looked an awful lot like last year's car. Um, obviously, Ford was the big news. Um, we'd heard hints and rumors about that going in, of course, but uh, to get that confirmed and to uh, talk to Jim Farley, CEO of, of the Ford Motor Company, about everything they've got planned was um, was pretty cool. But yeah, for me. Again, that time with Daniel, we we rarely get that kind of like really relaxed time, and also where a driver fully commits to, to to that kind of thing, you know, to get a driver who's really in the mood for it. And poor Daniel have been doing I don't know hours, and I'm you know not joking, like maybe three or four hours of media interviews before he came and sat down with us. Yeah, he still had all that energy, and uh, yeah, it was really good fun to uh, get some stories out of him. So for me, that was that was a highlight of the trip. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was just a, a cool atmosphere altogether. Got to say, Katie, shout out to you because <clears throat> I think you got the best laugh out of him on the on the car when you said they've really gone to town with delivery this year. He loved that. You know, he, he you could tell he knew he shouldn't have been laughing, but he couldn't help himself. <laughs> um, but I thought it was a great moment. So, uh, so congrats. But yeah, I was I, I was going to say because I mean I thought that was a great bit as well, and um, it was just fun to see him in that environment. I think it was pretty chilled out. But what did what did you make of that? Because you obviously interviewed a lot of different athletes across different sports, and I think it's quite rare from what I've seen to get somebody kind of as relaxed about the situation that a driver like Daniel's going into. Cause he's, you know, he's kind of going into this weird situation where he's not racing, but he mm -hmm. seemed as at peace with it as I thought he was like way more than I thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to be a bit kind of like, Oh, you know, maybe saying some things that you're like, Oh, that's a bit, that sounded a bit sad, but he genuinely, unless he's the best actor in the world, <laughs> he genuinely seemed like he was fine with it. So I just wonder what your, what your take on it was. Yeah, I thought I think coining it as he's at peace with it is a, a good way to phrase it. I was really interested to see how that was going to go as we sat down yeah. with him. And, and Lawrence, to your point, he had been at it all day. And so 
to have him fully commit and say, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to enjoy myself, I think says a lot about him. I don't think he's ever really in a bad mood or he doesn't appear to be that way just because he's so engaging and he's got such a great personality. But it would be easy for a guy to say, oh, there's just one more thing that I have to do and let's just check it off the list so I can get out of here and go home. And I didn't feel like he approached it that way at all, which says a lot about him as a human being. And Nate, to your point, I thought we had a really raw conversation. Like, obviously, we had a lot of fun with him and talked about a bunch of different topics. But that wasn't a situation where we were going to go in and say, break down every instance last season, the ups and the downs and how you were feeling emotionally, mentally, spiritually. But he took it there. He ebbed and flowed in and out of serious conversation while also having fun and laughing. And I just, in, in interviewing different athletes from different professional sports, like, it's raw in F1. And I just think that that's a testament to the personalities and the people that, you know, we get to cover. And so I, I really enjoyed, I thought that it had depth, um, but also with someone like him, you have tons and tons of fun. Um, and I thought he was very thoughtful with some of his answers. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Cause he definitely, you know, you, you could go one or two ways there. Couldn't you, as if you're in Daniel's position, you can be like, right, I'm going to make a whole joke of this whole situation mm-hmm. and just go down the really, you know, this really stupid line or I could get really serious and you know tense up a bit and he kind of just he was just the same as he's been for the last few years and I've got to say you know I know there's a lot of Checker press fans that we have listening but the, the contrast between Ricardo and Perez was really mm-hmm. telling and um I mean I joked to you guys when we were there but we did interviews with a lot of the guys and Perez was kind of the opposite of that you know he was he was very cagey you know I, I know like like Ricardo, he'd been doing interviews all day. So, you know, everyone reacts differently to that. Um, so I'm not, it's not criticizing him for that because I'm sure it'd be tedious for me to do. But I think it just, you know, it shows you the difference in headspace they're probably in going to the new season uh, a little bit as well. So um, that was great. And we got a little cameo from Christian Horner. So we can we can technically say we got Daniel Ricardo and Christian Horner on the pod, even if it was for a brief second. Um, the event itself, though, I mean, because you did ask two questions. I thought the event... The event itself, I, I would love to have sat with a fan watching that at home because I had, I had four friends there, as you know, and they loved it. They thought it was the best thing they've you know they've they've ever seen. Their big F one. No, but your friends, just to chime in, your friends are American, correct? I think that they are, and they did okay. get a selfie with Danny Rick towards the end, just just before our show, actually, didn't they? So and I think two of them that, were wearing Danny Ricardo t shirts as well. So yeah, I mean, so they you know fans. they they went all in for that. But they even before that they were just they were just amazed seeing the you know the car and seeing Horner seeing seeing Max seeing seeing Daniel seeing Checo, and so and that really hit home for me that a lot of people you know doing it in America for the first time, you know. But to be honest, it's not it's not like in it's not like UK fans has, have, have been spoiled by these events because often they're kind of you know they've been online events for a long long time. So it's just nice to see people there, but just a shame that <clears throat> it did seem like a very big marketing exercise. You know, there's a lot of chat. I think one of the big memes that came out of it was people were like, who are these Red Bull athletes we're talking to who just <laughs> were and they were literally in the different corner of the room, weren't they? So everyone had to kind of spin on their heels and I couldn't see them. I could just hear them. So um as an event goes, I guess I get I get what they're trying to do, you know, as a part marketing event, mainly a mainly a Ford thing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a lot of media thrown in, so from our point of view, we loved it. But I, I totally get why fans watching it, watching the stream, especially the first launch of the season. You know, sure. Williams have done one, and Alfa Romeo have done one since then. So I think that those guys have probably benefited from Red Bulls being a bit more chaotic, because you know those two teams seem to have a have a good one. Um, 
But yeah, it was great. It got so chaotic, in fact, that one of the guests, Stefano Domenicali, didn't turn didn't up show when up. printed. Yeah, <laughs> well, that was, that was bizarre in a, itself, wasn't it? Um, a bit of a running joke thereafter. But um, I think that spoke to a little bit how um, how Red Bull the event was, because it seemed that Stefano wasn't that keen to get up on the stage mm-hmm. at the start of the season, kind of put himself alongside all of the you know reigning world champion Max Stappen, Christian Horner, Daniel Ricciardo, Sergio Perez have a big Red Bull kind of background and be a part of that when the reality is he's not going to be at many of the other launches. But of course, the real reason he was there was to kind of introduce Ford into Formula One. Uh, I think he went on Fox and did an interview with Jim mm-hmm. Farley as well. So, um, it, but it was a rather awkward moment when his name was called <laughs> and he didn't show up. Everybody's turning, looking, looking, all of them looking, looking. And, and Max even said, just... oh, there he is. He's at the back. He and pointed, yeah, he pointed up. I think he was pointing at the window. He's like, he's there. And so everyone was looking around and very strange. Um, Which I, I get it in hindsight. I mean, maybe he should have decided that prior to the, you know, hour long presentation <laughs> beginning that at least, what, at least, what, what would at least let the hosts be? know, you know, yeah, Paul Marty Smith sure. and Giselle. Um, but I, I do think know. it was important for him to be there because of the Ford partnership, Lawrence, as you mentioned, but that did make for a little bit of a um, an awkward moment on stage. Although I've got to say my favorite launch moment so far was a few days later was when Alfa Romeo launched and they've got their new team team boss and their, you know, their new two of their new senior guys talking. And then the background, I don't know if they'd done it by mistake, but their, their car just appeared behind them and they hadn't released it publicly. So everyone on Twitter's like, was that it? Is that the car? And it's a beautiful car, the Alfa Romeo. It's that lovely black and red car. But it was like, oh, yeah, the, the car's behind them. And then it kind of disappeared, then came back on screen again, then went. And then they were like, and now to exclusively reveal our car. And everyone's like, well, we've, well, we've just seen it. The drivers came out and then they, and it looked great, you know, as a physical copy. But it was like, oh, it was that. So I, I quite liked that for how, how well they'd planned that event. And still, obviously, someone just hit that button too quickly. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. And you know that there's so much planning, whether it's an online reveal or an in-person reveal. There's so much planning. There's, There's so much that goes into it. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And then for you know something to go awry, I can't imagine how that feels. You've obviously taken us there. Alfa Romeo's, I thought, well, I want to get your thoughts first. We mentioned that the RB19 didn't look uh, a whole lot different than what we've seen in the past. We we made a couple jokes about that with Danny Rick, which we had some fun with. But we've seen four cars revealed so far. Lawrence, you don't have to rank them, but just you know, what is your take so far on the liveries we've seen? 
No, I'll rank them and I'll stick the Alfa Romeo at the top because <laughs> it just looks incredible. And I mean, if you look at it and you look at it compared to last year's car, kind of all they've done is just scraped off the white paintwork yeah. um, and they've left it with bare carbon fiber. And a lot of teams actually did that um, intentionally last year because they found that the cars were so overweight that the best way to knock a few, like, well, half a kilo, kilo or so off was to just start stripping paint off them. Uh, so Alfa Romeo have just done it from the start, but they've done it in a really cool way. And um, Alfa Romeo, uh, it's the last year of their partnership with the Sauber team, which is kind of sad because one thing they have produced consistently is incredible liveries. And in fact, that's pretty much the only part of the Alfa Romeo car that is designed by Alfa Romeo. It's very much a sponsorship deal otherwise, but um, their in-house kind of uh, Turin-based styling group uh, get together and they come up with these cool liveries every year but i think that's got to be one of the best i've seen for for a while it's it's very simple but it just it just looks really good so a send-off for alfa romeo which i think is fully deserved it's a cool brand i've enjoyed having it knocking around f1 even if they haven't been fully involved in terms of getting involved with building engines and all the rest of it or chassis but um that's pretty cool and then i would have the williams one second because i actually really like the williams throughout last year Pretty. And the Rebel one last... I mean, the Rebel one, really, because it hasn't changed. It's not a bad livery. It's actually, I think, one of the iconic liveries in Formula 1. Uh, when we look back at it in about 20 years, I think we're going to put it together with the uh, red and white McLarens, the Marlboro McLarens of Ayrton Senna's day, uh, the blue and white uh, and yellow Williams of Nigel Mansell. Um, I think it's 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 that cool. But, um, yeah, it's just a little bit disappointing when the covers come off and you're like, ah, it's a very similar car to, uh, to last year. Oh, in fact, it is last year's car. I think that, that the issue there, though, was that they had kind of built it as if it was going to be different, or at least the, the size of mm-hmm. the event suggested, and then the, the delay, it was like, right, there better be something different under there. So I think if they'd just been like, here's the car, here's an image, I think the disappointment would have been less. Because I agree, I actually really like that car. Um, <clears throat> I think the Red Bull's one of the best-looking cars on the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, yeah. to give them some credit, they are going to swap it up at the three American races. So they're going to get fans to design... We're not quite sure how much it, how much kind of freedom they're going to have, whether it's just kind of the side pods and a strip down the side or whether it's the full thing. I think the Red Bull, which kind of understandably has to remain on top on the airbox, but um, but the rest <laughs> of it should be up to fans to decide. So that's kind of cool. Like, I think we can forgive them keeping the same livery if it means they're completely shaking it up, um, up three races uh, because we've seen a number of times teams in recent years have, uh, change liveries. I mean, the one that comes to mind always is the golf livery that McLaren ran um, in 2021, I want to say. Um, and, you know, that really did pop, look amazing. So I'm sure all those fans out there can kind of like come together and come up with something pretty cool. So um, Plus, cool seeing that. the rival teams are only going to be seeing the back end of that car anyway, aren't they? So, you know, whether, hey. they, changed, whether they changed it or not, it doesn't matter. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> That's not music to a lot of people listening's ears. No, about say, half our listeners just switched off there. Yeah, put, exactly. I will say the Williams car, it's nice because there's so many different colors involved and they all work so well together. And whoever decided or came up with the idea to have the Duracell branding on top there, that like that was genius. When I saw that, I was like, oh, this well, is so beautiful. I, I was like that as well. And then people pointed out on Twitter that they'd done that last year at a race, I think at Miami, which I, I completely, I, I've got to confess, I, com- I completely missed it. So yeah. apologies to Williams. I obviously wasn't paying enough attention last year, but I, I that was the first thing I saw. And I liked the, I wish they'd just had a bit more of the golf kind of orange mm-hmm. there because they have those specs on the wheel covers and stuff. But yeah, that was, that was a pretty cool, cool part of the car. Um, 
And I think, again, Williams have got kind of, I quite like what they've got going on anyway. So the fact they didn't, I think, again, everyone expected it was going to be massively golf. And then <laughs> literally golf was just like <laughs> there as a brand. And it, people were like, oh, that's disappointing. Um, but yeah. And Haas, we're not mentioning the Haas team either. There's going to be a lot of black cars on the grid this year. Uh, at least two. I mean, we're all wearing black as well, as we pointed out before we started recording. So clearly, clearly we can't be too critical. But I, I quite liked what the Haas looked like. I think in person that would look pretty good as well, like the like the Alpha. I think so too. The same color schemes, but the Alpha is just more black, a lot more black on that car. So I'm curious though, because Mercedes were waiting for their drop. It seems like they're hinting at an all-black car. Is that what we're expecting? Do you have any insight that you want to share? There's been enough hints. That I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed if oh. it isn't. So they've um, done because okay. they've done if what Red Bull. They've done here. This is the thing, isn't it? So if they if they then turn out and say, "Here's a silver car," they've only got themselves to blame if people are upset yeah. because it's like you can't just keep teasing a black car, especially when that black Mercedes looks so good as well. I loved what that looked like. Mm-hmm. It was just fantastic. And I think the association with, I mean, there's the silver ones, which won lots and lots of championships. Of course, the silver goes way back into Mercedes history. But the association with the silver last year, I think they won a bit of departure from last year just because, you know, the memories of that car are <laughs> not particularly good. And um, You don't say. Yeah, it's, I actually think last year's car looked pretty cool. But, um, yeah, I think they'll be looking to kind of start fresh, both with the car itself, the design, of course, like trying to... Um, weed out all the issues they had but then i think that might also come with a bit of a tweak of the livery i flew out after the red bull event i'm curious and also a little scared to ask what the two of you got up to after that uh but i did see a pretty iconic photo so what did you guys do before you left new york so this full credit goes to lawrence here both of us are huge sopranos fans and we were going from newark international flying back sunday night and Lawrence messaged me, I think the day before, saying, hey, when we go back, we should stop here, which is where they filmed, filmed the final scene. Now, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but if people <laughs> haven't seen The Sopranos and don't know how it ends yet, you must have been living in a hole because it's like the most famous ending ever. They've but, had enough time at this point. Yeah. So we so we got an Uber there and then we left ourselves plenty of time and we were like, let's just go and see if we can. And I assumed going down there, you know, in the Uber down, I thought this would be nice. We'll be able to see like the, you know, the entry and maybe see the, the booth where they sat. But because it was because Lawrence brought it together, I'll let him finish off the story. But it turned out that we had basically got there at the perfect time, Lawrence. Uh, we had, thank you for teaming me up. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just felt bad. Yeah. I felt bad taking the whole no, story. Man. Because, I mean, it know, was very it was, cool. We, we, we could there, tell so. we were both incredibly excited about this. So we yeah. went in there. And um, I think the coolest thing about that place is not only is it this famous scene in The Sopranos, how it all ended, but also it's a really kind of authentic old American diner that um, not only looks like, you know, it hasn't really changed since the 1950s. It's actually an ice cream parlor. And then it's got kind of burgers and stuff as well. Food is incredible. So we went is in it? there, uh, walked down. We're like, is is that the table? Is that the table? Oh, no, that's a table. And there's still a little a little jukebox on the table. So you know exactly which one it is. And um, it had a few kind of empty ice cream uh, and milkshake um, glasses. And they got cleared away. And we're like, right, we're taking this table. So we just stood around and then... The waiter was great. He took our photo and uh, some of the locals kind of talked to us about it. You came all this wave just because it's a Soprano place. Yes. I think people to start with thought we'd flown there for that. Oh boy. Did you just lead them on? I hope. Yeah, we should have done. And I think when you've got a British accent, you can basically tell people in America anything and they will. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Nice. You should, you should do more of that. You know, that's kind of the the vibe. So we should have taken their names. It was these two lovely old ladies. So for the sake, because we're talking about a TV show, 
in credits that have been lovely old lady one and lovely old lady two but they were very friendly they were like saying you know they, they've been going to that place for a long long time and they said oh you know the, the sopranos probably kept this place open um and it just had a really nice feel to it you know it was it was a really great place and we got onion rings which is what the last thing tony soprano orders in that scene um before whatever happens to him happens um and yeah so I thought it was great. I mean, I'm not going to say it was the best part of the trip because obviously we we did a podcast with Danny Ricardo. We went to a little event, but it was it. it was damn good. Honest. I mean, as from a, from a, from a non professional point of view, that was pretty great. You know, so I, I mean, was I was loving it. Might be the best bit of my year so far. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe last I mean, three it definitely. It in terms of pictures that came out of that trip, we had us on stage with Danny Ricardo on Friday. Then mm-hmm. by Sunday, the two of us in the Tony Soprano booth. Then Lawrence very kindly took a picture of me in the booth with his really good camera so i've now got like a profile worthy picture of me sitting there like tony Love soprano it. um and uh, w- one last little tip if anyone goes there it's called holston's by the way i don't know if we mentioned that uh oh in, yeah we should plug yeah, yeah i couldn't tell you exactly which bit but just google holston's and you'll find it and um if you go there and you uh the the jukebox isn't actually wired in so you can kind of move it and if you move it uh behind that is a little plaque that says this table reserved for soprano's family and i thought that was really well, cool I'll just follow up with one final fun fact. The jukebox, because it's clearly a replica, doesn't have Don't Stop Believing by Journey on it when you when you flick through. So if obviously, because obviously I guess the one that they used was a was a was a, a prop or whatever. But I'm I'm gutted we should have asked if it was the, if the same one because when they flick through, obviously when they flick through in the Sopranos, you can see it. But we looked through it and I was like, we must be missing it. It's not yeah, in where there. is it? Not in there. So yeah. So that was I'm not going to say it took me out at the moment, but you know, it was it was the one negative, <laughs> one tiny negative. The rest was uh, the rest. Was Write it in a review, please. Write it in the review. <laughs> I I love that you guys got to do that. I think that's so cool. I hope that most people recognized where you were when you posted it. Uh, I sure did because I freaking love that show. But I'm sure some people were like, "Why are they so jazzed to be in some dingy American <laughs> <Yeah>. diner?" <laughs> yeah, because I think. If you've seen the show, you immediately recognize that, mm-hmm. you know, from whatever angle. But people who haven't were like, okay, that's just a diner. Like you're in <laughs> you're in New York. Like, you're gonna find loads of those. Yeah, like get over it. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Well, it, it's been such an exciting time, obviously. Like season launches just prove that we're right around the corner from testing and obviously getting the season underway. But there was also some news that came out this week um that I want to get into and get your all's thoughts because it feels like this has been brewing, but maybe this was already coming down the pipe regardless. Um, you know, FIA's president, Mohammed bin Suleim, the head of motorsports governing body, has stepped back from overseeing Formula One in its day-to-day capacity. Uh, so I would ask you, Nate, first, because you're the one who wrote the article and the update on ESPN.com. Is this a surprise or was this coming? What do you make of the news? Well, I think the timing of it, is probably the most curious part of it. So, you know, it was very, it was very easy to look at it and be like, oh, this is in re- you know, relation to everything we've talked about, you know, how Ben Sulliam has been with, you know, undervaluing F1 in his comments, whether it's been kind of being on the wrong side of the, you know, the Andretti kind of conversation. He was very pro at F1 anti. There's been a lot of things bubbling behind the scenes. Um, and clearly this is something that he's, you know, has been intended for a while. FIA has brought in a new uh, CEO last year, uh, Steve Nielsen went over from F1, became sporting director. Um, so I think that clearly this was something that was in the pipeline. You know, it was coming. It was coming eventually. But um, the fact that I spoke to a couple of people at different teams and they were like, yeah, we we kind of thought that was going to be towards the end of this four year election you know, cycle that he's, right. that he's on. 
And the fact that it suddenly was like, no, this is happening now. I think that to me was the the curious bit. And I think maybe it's maybe it was almost like a get out of jail free card that the FIA looked at, and he maybe looked at and was like, look, we're going to do this anyway. You know, it's it's maybe a good time to do this. But that's, I mean, that's that is us reading between the lines and guessing. You know, the FIA it could ju- it could just be a coincidence. Those things do happen. Um, but I think it probably, in a weird way, is going to save a lot of headaches going into the new season for both because. You know, Ben Sulliam, one of the big criticisms about him from people in F1, people at different teams, has been that he's, you know, he's tried to be front and center of every single thing since he was elected last year. And this, you know, his the day-to-day running is now is, you know, is no longer on him. So I think that A, he's just he's not going to be able to be in that position. And if he is, then he's going to be, you know, he's basically going against what, you know, what he wrote to the teams today. Um, and hopefully it just means that. You know, some of those frosty tensions kind of can thaw a little bit because it was getting you could tell it was getting a bit a bit much between the two of them. So we'll see what happens. But I mean, it, th- this is also where it's going to be interesting, I think, to see whether F1 and the teams, whether their friction, how much of it was with him and how much of it was with the governing body, because the feeling was that it was more so with him than with the governing body. But we'll see, because obviously the governing body is the same. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, the day to day, you know, their point of contact kind of race to race is changing. Ben Sully, I'm still going to be in charge of a lot of tactical stuff, a lot of big, big thinking strategy things. Um, but yeah, he's he's moved on. So we'll see. But yeah, definitely surprising. It wasn't something I was expecting to write when we, you know, when I woke up this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the more you read into it, the more you thought, OK, this isn't a complete shock out of the blue. Lawrence, who yeah, takes over that portion of his role? Um, well, it's it's kind of split between a few people and. So his mandate when he came in was to uh, put in place a a much more robust structure looking after Formula One, uh, reforming race control. Of course, he came in after the Michael Massey um, incident that happened in uh, 2021, the the, the way that season was decided. And um, he was kind of in charge of the investigation of that, but that investigation kind of started before he got uh, fully in control and even afterwards he said he wasn't entirely satisfied with how that worked out um so there's been a lot of reform and you know that changed before the start of last season Michael Massey was out of his job two new race directors were in so you can't say that he hasn't been uh making change creating reform and then potentially to allow him to move back at one you know one stage or another um he brought in uh, Natalie Robin who was the former CEO at Volvo uh, in a CEO role at the FIA which we haven't had before and obviously a CEO role indicates that you are going to take control of a lot of the day-to-day business day-to-day running of uh, of of the organization so um he has put little bits in in place but like Nate said earlier i mean it's it's so at odds with his approach of the last 12 months which have all been about putting himself front and centre. The jewellery ban, which was a big running story throughout last year, where the drivers were told you can't wear any jewellery in the car, even Lewis Hamilton's nose stud, which was basically fused in and he had to get it removed. Um, you know, that all came directly from Ben Slim. And he was he was very forward in talking about that. He was very open in talking about that to the press. Um, and then, of course, you know, his comments more recently that, again, Nate mentioned uh, saying that uh, the inflated price tag of 20 billion, you know, Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. potentially coming in and offering uh, money to Formula One for for the business. And, um, you know, that was kind of, as F1 pointed out, it was really beyond the remit of what an FIA president should do. So, um, you know, I think he's he's had to deal with a lot of the backlash there. Um, we're still waiting for a clarification 
on one of the other controversial things he's brought in, which is the restrictions on what drivers can do pre-race in terms of what they're allowed to protest, what T-shirts they're allowed yeah. to wear, what messages they're allowed to convey, uh, how much that has to be checked by the FIA. You know, that continue, even now, drivers at launches of the cars are saying, well, we are concerned about it because we don't really know what it entails. You know, that's something which he really could have got hold of much earlier and, and, and changed. But I think, um, like Nate says, uh, clearly it was intended at some point that he would step back. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised he was so hands-on earlier uh, last year. And now it does seem like uh, an opportune time to de-escalate tensions and perhaps kind of protect a little bit uh, of his own reputation and, and the reputation of the FIA and kind of heal some of those wounds that got opened up over the winter, uh, just to step back and hand over some of the running to the likes of Steel Niel Steve Nielsen. Nicholas Tambatsi and um, Natalie Robin as well. It's appeared to be a tumultuous uh, relationship, I think, is a fair way to kind of pose it. So very interesting yeah. news that that came I mean, out. I, I was surprised just to go back to the article we wrote. I mean, we kind of outlined, outlined the news and then I wrote some context underneath of, you know, there's been friction. And I kind of, even though I knew it all, as I wrote it all, it was like, and then this happened. And then this happened. And, that, like and we, I was almost like, I, was like I might as well. Yeah, it was almost like, do I need to bullet point all this just to make it easier? Because it was it was like, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And if you look back to previous FIA presidents, th there's not been that that kind of volume of controversies and, and bickering in such a small amount of time. Uh, from memory anyway, there's always been some, but it, this has felt like it's, you know, each one has kind of almost prompted the next one. So I think that Lawrence is right. It's kind of, it's just a good way to, to draw a line under it, I think. What's coming out today is that Las Vegas has said that they will allow F1 to use the strip, the iconic Las Vegas strip, for the next 10 years if F1 so chooses. 10 years? It's mm, a long time. But, I mean, I can't wait for 2023 Las Vegas Grand Prix. I think it's going to be awesome and obviously probably mind-blowing seeing cars zip up and down the strip. What did you make of that news, Lawrence? Yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's good news for F1, I think. I mean, assuming this race is going to be good. It's got so much hype around it. I feel like it can't <laughs> really fail, but you never know. Um, but I, I think it is good news. And uh, F1 are clearly keen to stay in Las Vegas. They've invested in this race. So they are basically a partner within the race rather than a circuit somewhere around the world just paying F1. F1 have invested in building up this race, promoting this race. And so to get basically through what is essentially a political hurdle, you know, just making sure that somebody doesn't come in and block it and say, not in my backyard, uh, which would be surprising in Las Vegas, considering what goes on in that backyard. But um, <laughs> you never know. Uh, so to get that hurdle out of the way is, is good. It opens the door for 10 years. They were talking about lifetime. Uh, so maybe all of our lifetimes, there'll be a race in uh, in Las Vegas. But um, yeah, assuming it lives up to the hype, great. But the other nice thing is that look, if you get that long-term commitment, any issues with the first race, any things where people are like, oh God, that really was bad or like that corner needs to change. If you're knowing that you want to do it for another 10 years, you make those changes and you kind of agree to put the investment in. So I think it can only be a positive thing. It's kind of like getting married before you've been on a date, isn't it? A little bit, but you're so convinced the date's going to be a great one. You know, you've maybe been talking on a dating app, you know, you've, You've seen each other. You haven't met each other, but you're convinced it's going to be the right thing. Um, I actually genuinely, when it comes to Vegas, I genuinely think that, that we're going to see a, a shift pretty quickly towards, you know, obviously the heartland of F1. I think we'll stay in Europe to a degree, but I think Vegas is going to be the kind of the pinnacle event very, very quickly for exactly the reasons Lawrence said. You know, F1's invested in it. It's one of the coolest cities around. 
And I mean, even if the race, the, you know, the race doesn't have to be the most thrilling race every year. It's going to be very difficult to top that as a as a showpiece event. So I can't wait. I'm the same as you, Katie. I know Lawrence is buzzing for it as well. It's just going to be unreal. Um, and just think how much money Vegas is going to make from that race over over yeah. assuming they do do it for ten straight years. Um, that's a lot of money going through that place more so than usual, which is difficult to say about Vegas. <laughs> Full disclaimer: Don't take Nate Saunders' dating advice. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not saying it's good advice or bad. I'm just saying it's like that. But you know, that that that's my analogy. I'm going to stick with it. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Before we step away, I want to ask you guys which was cooler. And did you see this? Okay. Because there's two videos circulating right now. The RB7 going around Bathurst in Australia. And then we saw Charles Leclerc going around in a 2003 Ferrari at Abu Dhabi, which like that video was so cool to watch. I'm not sure which one you guys preferred. What did you think when you saw those two videos this week? Well, they're both amazing. Both unbelievable. Um, for me, growing up as a Schumacher fan, the 2002 and the 2003 Ferrari were two of my favorite cars. So okay. Charles wins it. And also he had this mega on board view. It was just loud. It was great. And um, I thought they were both fantastic. And it was kind of, it was great. And it was also a bit like, oh man, you know, as great as F1 is at the moment, one of the things that is missing is that kind of that sound. I think that cars still do give quite a, you know, the, the visor cam has helped, hasn't it? To give that kind of visceral feeling of it behind the wheel. But yeah, it was amazing to see. And it's it's kind of crazy that those things, you know, 22, 24 of those things usually just like barrel around the same circuits that the current cars are going around because you've got used to seeing these kind of big clunky things kind of going around and still going very fast. Um, so I loved it. But yeah, the Ferrari would just take it for me. But I mean, it's like apples and oranges, isn't it? They're both two great. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so jealous of those two guys, A, for being <laughs> Formula One drivers or, you know, having <laughs> the jobs they do, but also being able to do that. Yeah, the, the Bathurst thing was pretty cool. And I think if we have any Australian listeners, uh, they, they would have absolutely loved that because there's always this thing um, around F1, like Daniel Ricciardo, when he announced that he wouldn't be driving next year, one of the first questions from the Australian journalists were, are you going to do Bathurst? Are you going to do Bathurst? So to actually get an F1 car there, and that that track is incredible. Um, I don't know if people are that familiar with it, but huge long straights and then up basically onto the side of a mountain, around the top, twisting, uh, really tight barriers, almost kind of Monaco style, uh, no room for error section at the top, and then back down on a long uh, straight blast. It's so Basically what you'd expect from a circuit if you gave an Australian a pen and paper and said, <laughs> build a circuit. It's exactly like there's only a few places in the world where that circuit would exist. I love it. It's great. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what you're saying about Australians. but uh, No, no, I, I'm I, saying I, that I, they we'll just... say that's a compliment. Yeah, no, I, I mean it as that. They're just like, hey, we'll just, we'll just do this. Yeah, ballsy. It, 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 you know, the, the guys that they, they don't scare easy, do they in Australia? Well, yeah, you can't as well. If you live if you live with all those spiders and all yeah. those animals, I guess they're just like, well, this is just this is just another day. Yeah. Um, but then the, the Ferrari onboard footage was fantastic, mainly because Charles Leclerc was really pushing hard. Mm. Those mm. cars actually quite regularly go out on um kind of demo days, and you'll get a lot of videos on youtube often of like you hear a v6 go past then a v8 ferrari and then the v10 ferrari and then if you're really lucky you get a v12 ferrari from the early 90s and those things are absolutely singing so i'd love to see um charles leclerc in one of those but yeah he was not hanging about he was not messing about and um yeah i saw uh there was one instagram clip where it said that he was eight seconds off the pole position time of 2022 
um, which is pretty good for a car that is yeah, uh, that 20 years old uh, and only four seconds off the race time because obviously in the race they run with heavier fuel and they run slightly slower. So when you consider he was on um, demonstration tyres, so not the original Bridgestone tyres that would have been designed for that car uh, and not as uh, sticky as the kind of stuff that F1 cars have nowadays, that's pretty pretty quick. Pretty good, um, yeah. And a lot of that, and this is you know a little drum I like to beat, is down to the weight of the car um that ferrari that leclerc was driving that 2003 ferrari is about 200 kilos lighter than current formula one cars and um that weight does a lot not only does it um make the car slower the more weight you have um it makes it kind of less responsive they look a little bit lazier which i think is why that onboard footage looks so good and also they take a toll on the tires they kind of increase tire degradation which is sometimes good but it's sometimes frustrating for the drivers when they're trying to push so yeah, seeing um, seeing a little blast from the past and uh, it was pretty special. And I remember a few years back, maybe two or three years back, Nate, you might m- remember it as well, when Fernando Alonso went out in the... Uh, I was about to say the same thing, yeah. Yeah, um, the Renault from, I think, 2005, might have been 2006. I think Big difference because one he... one's a V10 and one's a V8, so I think it was 2005. I think um, it was the V10 because I remember Lewis was doing an interview at the same time, wasn't he? Yeah. And he, he heard it and was like, oh my God, what you know, that is amazing. And uh, I think a few of the drivers were there. Um, I think I was 21 actually. I think it was the year he lost. He lost the next day to, to Max. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that that in my head has just kind of disappeared because of what happened. My yeah. brain capacity just couldn't hold that that great memory in 24 hours later because of because of Massey Gate. But um, well, I went to ask as well, Katie. What was out of the two? Which was the one that that you thought was the best? I don't have reference to Bathurst until. Lauren's kind of explained the track. Like, obviously, I know it's an iconic one. So seeing Charles in the Ferrari um, mm. and just like that candy apple red and that body type was just yeah. so mind-blowing. And then to hear it, right? Because, you know, my first Grand Prix was in Miami last year. And I remember people telling me around here, oh, well, you know, make sure you have your earplugs, make sure you have this, that. And, you know, it's, it's you're going to be blown away by how loud they are. And, of course, they are loud. It's more of a zip now but you don't need earplugs when you're you know trackside these days and so to hear that noise that it's like that's mind-blowing to me of like where we've come um over the years and so seeing that and char obviously summed it up perfectly he said what a day with a heart emoji afterwards like what a cool moment for him to get to experience that and it's just like every little thing isn't it because you've got the way the gear you know the upshifts the downshifts just Mm -hmm. that and that it just the throatiness of it. I mean, every every kid growing up, if you did, if you said make the sound of an F one car, you'd make the sound of usually you'd make the sound of a V ten, you know, and that kind of you know the 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 kind mm-hmm. of shifting up and down the gears. And I remember going to uh, Monza in two thousand six. So that was that was the, that was V eight then, wasn't it? Two thousand six. But even then, the noise of those engines. And I went I went and saw the V tens as well, and they were much much louder. But they just both of them just cut straight through you. You were sat there. If you didn't have your, head, your earplugs in, you were gonna not be hearing anything for a few days after that. Sure. So it really did it really did add to that add to that trackside experience, which I mean I don't know, maybe I think modern fans maybe enjoy the new generation. It's probably easier to t- convince the family to go down. You don't have to sit there mm-hmm. with your hands in your ears for the whole race. But um it was definitely a different era and one that a lot of people do miss in, in that sense. Yeah, it was uh, really cool. Both videos, if you haven't seen them, go check them out. Uh, We'll also link to it below. As always, like this video. Leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. And make sure if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to ESPN F1 for more F1 content. Nate Saunders, Lawrence Edmondson, Katie George. We'll be back next week to break down more season launches. Cheers.